Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Pear fans. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash Paratruth where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mutual view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? going paratruthers welcome to a brand new episode of paratruth radio my name is justin tonight eric is absent but uh, we have a special co-host coming on with me so it's going to be an interesting show right off the bat i did want to say really fast that we are now a part of paranormal uk radio network and uh, we're, we're so happy and proud to have them featuring our show on their network, as well as TMV Cafe and Fringio Network. We're a part of some great networks now, and I'm so happy about it. So we've got an awesome topic. I want to get right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. For those of you listening at TMV Cafe, Fringe Radio Network, the Paranormal UK Radio Network, and Paratruthradio.com, let's get ready to expose some lies. Now Paratruth presents The Catacomb Enigma with special guest co-host Kay Carswell. Catacombs of the dead go through multiple cultures of the world. You see them in Paris, Italy, South America, and parts of Asia. And tonight I bring on my special guest co-host and friend Kay Carswell to discuss this very topic. Kay, welcome back to Paratruth Radio. How are you doing this evening? Hey, Justin. I'm doing great. Thank you. It's so good to be back on with you. And I want to tell all the listeners hi. And I know that there's a whole new network out there, a couple of them. So hi, everyone. Well, since we are on the new network, I did want to give you a chance to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and about uh, your show, Deception Detection Radio. Okay. Well, I have a broadcast called Deception Detection Radio with Kay and Chad, and I co-host that with my friend Chad Riley. Love him dearly. He's my brother, and just like you, Justin, um, just an awesome friend. And we're on 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 Sunday at 7 p.m. There are sometimes there may be a week or two in between that. We don't have something there, but trust me, when the episode goes up, they're really, really good. We have a lot of outstanding guests. Uh, you and Eric have been on. Um, I broadcast from Indiana, and Chad broadcasts from Texas. And it is a Christian-based program. We're based on the Bible, and what we're doing, we look at at the way life is now and all the deceptions that are going on, there's nothing that we won't tackle, but we show it in the light of prophecy and from the scriptures. And I also have another broadcast called soul preppers and soul preppers. Everyone is packing up their closets, their pantries, getting everything ready for if the time comes that they don't have food, they don't have water. But no one is prepping their soul for the day that we are going to get to meet our Lord and Savior. So what Soul Preppers does, it, it helps you to prepare for those days. It's it's all Bible talk, scripture, 
have some amazing guests on that too. And we have a lot of fun with it. Yes, it's with the Bible, but learning about God is so amazing and it makes you feel good. And I just love doing it. So that's pretty much about me and about uh, Deception Detection Radio Network. We're heard all over the world. Uh, you can listen to us if you go in and type uh, Deception Detection at Spreaker.com. You can find us on YouTube. And virtually anywhere that there is a podcast, you can listen to us. Anywhere that airs them, because we are heard worldwide also. So I think it's pretty awesome that uh, we can get our messages out worldwide now. Isn't that amazing? If someone would have told us that when we were children, we would have looked at them like uh, there was something not right. Well, like I've said, I think I've said this to you in the past that, you know, when I first started, I thought of, I want to do an online radio show. I wonder if there's such a thing like that. And when I came across this thing called podca- podcasting, I'm like, what's podcasting? Well, apparently it was going since 2004, but I had never heard the word until I started <laughs> researching. So, Yes, and Justin Fall of uh, Fourth Watch Radio, he is the one that got me into listening to different podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I was like you. I had absolutely no clue. I thought it was just... Radio is radio. Yeah. Yeah. But radio is podcast too. So it well, gets I out mean, there on the airwaves. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a different type of radio, but it just isn't played on AM FM stations. That's all it really boils down to. You know, if you stop and think about it, I think that the podcasts are probably more widely heard than just your basic AM, FM radio stations because they have their limitations as far as towers and, and who picks them up. But we are blessed that anyone that's able to receive a podcast has a computer or even a phone. They can listen to the podcasts. Right. And I mean, a lot of people, I mean, you can download them too, so you're not wasting data because I do know that, like myself in particular, I worry about how much data I'm using. So you can just down them, download them straight from the player. So that's, I, I think it's a revolutionary way of doing radio. And I honestly feel that so long as the internet doesn't crash in the next couple of years, like many people are predicting, uh, Traditional terrestrial radio has its number clocked because I think podcasting is taking over. I have to agree with you on that. It is an exciting time. Mm-hmm. It really is because the technology and I'm sure that you've looked to it where you're listened to mm-hmm. and you'll see that you're picked up in countries that there, it's a taboo. I mean, there are places that pick up deception detection radio that the Bible is banned there, but people are finding a way. So I think there's always going to be a way for people to hear the podcast. And I love the downloadability because I like to listen to them at night. Yeah. Um, I've always got one going. I always and listen I told to you, them on I'm the way to work. Truth. What? I always listen to them on my way to work because I work 45 minutes away from home. So that gives you company. Yeah. And for me, I'm a paratruther. Everybody knows that. So it's great for me that I can download and listen to you and Eric anytime or anyone else that I want to listen to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's a true blessing, really. All right. Well, I think we should get into our topic tonight. Uh, I'm uh, been looking forward to this because I went to Palermo and I looked into the catacombs there, my wife and I, Shelly, and it just fascinated me the stuff that uh, goes into the these different catacombs. And I knew there was some in Paris. Uh, there's actually, I guess, some in Rome, all over the place. And 
one of the main places you looked into was the Paris ones. So I wanted you to kind of get into that first and uh, we can go from there. Okay. Well, I wanted to tell everyone when uh, Justin got back, the first question I asked him is, did you guys go to the catacombs? <laughs> because the catacombs to me are, um, they're fascinating. It's a fascinating time in history. Underneath Paris, they they were uh, digging for limestone. There's quarries under there. And during 1763, uh, King Louis XV wanted all burials banned from the capital. Uh, the church, though, they didn't want to move the dead. Um, they seemed to hold... A far different outlook on the dead at that period of time. They were actually shown, I think, more respect than the dead are given today. And he had issued an edict on this, and nothing happened. And then they had this rainy season. It was in spring of 1780 when the rain came down so hard that the uh, cemeteries, they were opening up and they were giving up their dead and they were coming through the cellar walls of people. Uh, they were going out into the street and these are people that they weren't boned yet. So you can use your imagination to how bad everything got. And everyone started to become ill during this time because of the the rotted flesh and everything that was was coming out of these graves. Mm-hmm. So it was a very very ugly time. And what King Louis wanted to have done was to use these quarries, to use them to fill them up, move the dead from the cemeteries into these quarries. Well, it took that flood for it to actually take place. But in order to not get the church upset, what they did, they had people going in at night and moving the dead silently. So no one would have a clue that this was going on. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, I've, I've wondered, I haven't been able to find it, but if they left the headstones to make people think that the bodies were still there. In the old cemetery? Yes. Uh, what other way could they move those bodies without alerting the families that something had went on there? Right, yeah. So it would look pretty strange. <laughs> but it took them 12 years to do this. And all in all, when it's said and done... There were between 6 million and 7 million bodies that were moved. That's mind-boggling to think that it could be done because how many people did they have working on this? That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I, I started looking at first. I wanted to find out why they did it and who ordered it. And the quarries, where they put these bodies at, um, now they are all bone. But they have set them in a way to where they line these corridors. And people are not going to believe this, but the spans of these quarries underground, the catacombs, which they're called, uh, go between 156 miles to 200 miles. And it's just this huge labyrinth. If you could think of being up in the air and looking down at this confusing maze. And from what I could find out, no one has ever been able to get through the full spance of the maze because it's too huge. They start at point A and it just runs out like tentacles runs out like tentacles, and they can't find the end. But they do have a beginning. Right. And you said the day that you guys had been around, it was closed. And 
even though they've got that beginning, they block things off because it's dangerous now. There are different areas that have started to cave in. Um, people find a way to get into the catacombs. Once a person enters through the main doors of the catacombs, they're afforded, I believe it's a mile and a half to two miles that they're able to explore. But when they get past that, they have to go down 65 feet, six different stories that they have to navigate. But when their first thing, when they first walk in is stop, this is the empire of death. They basically warn people, if you've got a, a bad heart, if you have um, asthma, if things like this disturb you, they don't want you going down in there. Because 65 feet, that's a long way down. That's yeah. like standing outside of a six-story building and looking up. That's huge, just for depth. Um, but people have gotten ill in there. There have been people that have came up missing. But it's been these people, and a lot of teenagers get in there. And they have parties because it's such an ominous place. And the sad thing is that they've used graffiti. They've written graffiti at different places in there. But they will get in. They'll have their parties. And some of these spaces to navigate in the catacombs would be more like for a small child to go through. They're not meant for adults and truthfully, they didn't look like they were meant for anyone to pass through. Mm-hmm. But they do, and they do get down there. They do party. There have been people that have came up lost, and they have not found them, which is creepy. There was someone, a guy that was filming, and he would got to a certain point. He was doing just fine, and then something scared him. And you see him drop the camera, and he takes off yelling. Well, years later, a filmmaker or someone came down, and they found that camera. But they never found the person that was attached to it, and no one's ever came forth to claim it. Is that – I want to say that the, this was in the Parisian catacombs. It could have been in the – the undercity of London too. I can't remember. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've probably seen this video where there's this like creature with glowing eyes, like peering around corners and stuff. Mm -hmm. Was that, do you remember if that was in the Parisian catacombs or was that in London? I believe that one was in London. Okay. I I don't think I would want to see anything like that down there. (laughs) Because it's, in any it's of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, zero light. <laughs> when you get in there, if your camera goes out, if your phone goes out, the battery goes dead on whatever your lighting source is, there's virtually no way you're going to find your way out unless someone comes to find you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you and I talked about, I said, well, I wonder, because... There are catacombs all over the UK, and I wonder if any of them connect to the other ones. Yeah, and because you can't see the end. I nowhere could I find that anything that said that they do or don't. Mm-hmm. So it almost makes you wonder if, for some reason, they're keeping it under wraps because, like you said. Some of these places, like the ones in Paris, have uh, have collapsed. And in, I'm not sure. Do the Paris ones? Do they allow you to take tours? Did you see? Yeah, those. That's when you first go in. Oh, they okay. do so give you a tour, saying, and you that's one up further. to two miles. Okay. Because um, uh, the ones in Palermo that. Shelly and I wanted to see were a, they, they were, you were able to tour them. And the weird thing about these ones were, um, it's a little bit different than some of the other ones. A lot of the other, 
catacombs that I came across were kind of that same story that the cemeteries were overflowing, so they had to come up with a way to uh, start burying other bodies or make room in the cemeteries. And in Palermo, it was actually, uh, they're called the Palermo uh, Capuchin Catacombs, and they get that name from the Capuchin Church in Palermo, Sicily. Um, oh, I guess I was wrong. It it was their their cemeteries were outgrowing, and the monks actually started using this for themselves first because of that fact. And then eventually they started allowing men, women, and children. Uh, it actually started out with just the rich being able to be buried in these catacombs, and then they finally expanded it on. And, um, and in 1920, one of the most infa- one of the most famous habitants, inhabitants of the catacombs was, is that of Rosalie Lombardo. Uh, she's also known as the, the Eternal Virgin. Oh, okay. And the way that this particular girl was mummified or embalmed, it, looks like she, her eyes are opening and closing depending on the time of the day. Now they aren't really opening and closing and some had speculated maybe it's due to the um the the temperature to uh has to do with the different moisture in the air but actually my my father-in-law had come across an article stating she was specifically embalmed to have her eyes looking like they are either partially open or constantly opening and closing. And I mean, to me that that's just the freakiest thing in the world. And why would you want to do that? But somebody was being artistic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the Palermo ones only go so far and um, I didn't come across anything how far or how deep they go, but I don't remember it being very, very deep. But a lot of the other ones like uh, like Paris, Vienna, even Rome, I'm sure somewhere along the way, the the Rome and the Parisian ones have to connect somewhere because they go so deep mm-hmm. and it's not that far of a distance between those two places. Um, same for even, even Vienna. I mean, Vienna is Austria and that would be very close to the Italian, the Rome ones as well. Um, what were some of the other, European areas that you saw had catacombs? European areas? I'm going to be honest, Justin. I really just delved in mainly into Paris because there was just so much to take in. Um, they There are massive catacombs in the Holy Land mm-hmm. that I found interesting. They call them ossuaries. And the first time I'd ever heard that was used um, in the Holy Land where they had found an ossuary that had James, which is Jesus' half-brother, and Mary and Joseph and um, just from Christ's family. But it just means that it's a place where they put, they bury the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, an area, but I really didn't get into any anymore, and I, I'm sorry. I just found the the Paris ones just almost breathtaking that they just encompassed so much and seemed to set a standard for for pretty much what you would find in other places. Um, did you? What did you think of the different uh, designs? made from the dead, how they made crosses and they made some that look like huge vases and, and faces even from yeah, the bones. They, 
I've seen them where they've built the the walls even out of out of the skulls and uh parts of the bones uh to make the walls in it. I th- that alone creeps me out. I mean, <laughs> let alone like the ones in Palermo where the the dead bodies are just standing or in the case of the eternal virgin she's laying in a glass case. But I don't know, like to me and maybe this is just my own personal opinion, to me it's almost disrespectful of the dead. But it was a different time and that was just their specific rituals at the time. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah, think about to me, it? You, what do I what? I'm sorry. What do you think about that? Do you, do you think that it's kind of disrespectful in, in a sense, or do you think it was just something that was part of the times? I've often wondered about this um, since I became aware of the catacombs that maybe they were put in their hap stance way to begin with. And then someone had went down and started creating these different monuments, like whether it is in memory of these people, it could be disrespectful. There are some, uh, but a lot to me was summed up in the different signs that were placed in different areas of the catacombs for how they were looking at the dead. I, you know, when you look at the Bible, the, the life is in the blood Mm -hmm. and they weren't allowed to touch blood. And I, I just kind of wonder if some of this carried over into these catacombs like you, I saw the different walls and the different designs, but I think it could be whoever was handling them at the time. I'm wondering, did they have someone that went down there that said a blessing, you know, for them being moved or what exactly happened? What was going through their minds when they built those? Yeah. Um, it's creepy. Like you said, I, I wouldn't want to be down there. Um, I would love to go through it, but I'm claustrophobic. So the chance of that ever happening, <laughs> it's never going to happen. I am claustrophobic as well, but it, at, uh, at least for the ones for Palermo, I would force myself to do it because it's one of those once in a lifetime experiences that I, I, I would probably only do it once. And that, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the other ones that you looked at, Justin, did they have different signs up in different locations like they do in Paris? Um, I didn't see any that really have any signs up per se. I think the ones in Rome kind of do. But um, some of them, like the, the catacombs of Komel Shukafa, which is in Alexandria, Egypt, it's set up more like an Egyptian tomb, almost what you would think of in the pyramids. So it's got the intricate carvings and uh, statues and that sort of thing. Uh, the other one that is kind of like that um, is in Vienna, the St. Stephen's Cathedral, where it's more so just coffins um, that are are sealed in, I'm not sure what you would call them, but uh, tombs, for the lack of a better word. Um, the There was one other place, and I can't remember where it was, that it was kind of set up like that, where it's just basically more so areas to to remember, remember the dead, not necessarily a, a catacombs per se, but... One thing that I found fascinating about the Paris ones was in 2004, uh, Parisian police discovered a secret cinema set up in one area complete with a bar. Now, I, I don't know if that happened before or after 
the catacombs were no longer used, I, I would that, say that would probably be way after. And to me, that just sounds disgusting. But what I picked up off of that was that it was more along the mile, uh, lines of the modern. Okay. Uh, after the uh, the dead were put there. And that this was in an area that was one of these that you have to use one of the unconventional ways to get there. You can't get there through a main entrance. You have to go through one of the other entrances, which can even be a storm drain. It could be through a basement. It could be through... um any number of ways, but that's what I gathered from that. I, I did the same thing as you. I thought, how disrespectful. Yeah. I well, And like I said, I, I kind of feel that way about the ones where the the walls are like one of the, the areas, Brno, uh, Czech Republic, that's an ossuary that is built out of the skulls and bones of the dead. And, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, it could be just it was a, a thing of the times. They were trying to make do with what they had, so they just kind of haphazardly started piling these things in there, and it ended up making walls. I don't know. But um, for the most part, that's kind of all I came across for the European ones. Um, and it's just, it's just fascinating, but at the same time disturbing. I... I honestly can't wrap my mind around it, probably because I'm from this era, not back then. So um, I do know that you have more on ones that are closer to home. But real quick, we're going to take a quick break, folks. You've been listening to Paratruth Radio with myself and my good friend Kay Carswell from Deception Detection Radio. We will be right back after this. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. A creature emerges from his slumber, only to be told he is a griffin with the name Achilles. The twisted mind of Dr. York Hampshire believed he could keep such a creature in a lab without consequences. However, bigger secrets are being revealed. What is this mad scientist doing with creatures and humans? The legendary creatures project The Griffin by Justin Conciliere, available now at Amazon.com. Get your copy today before the lights get turned off on this project. All right, folks, welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. I'm Kay. And we've been talking about the catacombs of Europe. Now, before we went to break, I had mentioned Kay's actually done some research on ones actually closer to home, but she actually had a uh, a little bit of a story about the catacombs in Europe and some uses that they were used for. So, Kay, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was really interesting to get in and see, which I figured – with them being so far underground in the time period that they were built, that they probably were used during World War II. And they were. Um, Parisian members of the French Resistance actually used the tunnel system 
And during this period, two German soldiers established an underground bunker, if you can imagine that, in the catacombs below. And please, anyone who speaks French, forgive me. Uh, Lycée Montaigne, which it was a high school in the 6th arrondissement. So that is apparently the district that it was in. And the underground tunnels and chambers have posed safety problems and because they've been caving in. So you can imagine these people down there in those bunkers around all the dead and hearing different areas of the catacombs start to collapse which is is really creepy to even think that too was that from but, the bombing and everything that th- that they collapsed or was it just naturally collapsing because of stress it's a lot to do with the fact that they were quarries and emptied out and the bones will only give so much structure and support in the walls so the weight from what was on the top of the ground it has been pushing down into the catacombs. So it's almost a reverse of the initial problem hmm. where the dead was uh, coming up out of the graves and bursting into the streets and into people's homes to now that the buildings that are on top are caving in. And if you take a look, you'll notice that there really are not super big, buildings anymore that are built on the top of Paris streets. Mm -hmm. What's there is there because there's so much weight to these buildings and virtually uh, from what I could read, just about every house, garden, road, everything, it sits on these catacombs. So they're at the point that they have been there for so long that now the ground is, is starting to weaken And that's part of the reason that they don't want people going in the back ways and exploring because it's not safe. And another thing that I wanted to add to this as far as the safety goes and it collapsing, so many of the people that get in here, get in there and look around, there's water. There's water that is dripping through the walls, running in um, almost like little rivulets through the walkways and I've wondered if that water is healthy when you think about what it's ran across and ran through Mm -hmm. and it primarily has almost a green glowish cast to it. This has been in every video and I've looked it up and they say that for some reason that is the glow that it casts. So there's probably health issues with the water coming through too. Oh, I'm sure. But I, I, I just would not want to be in there and hear this going on. It almost looks like mines when you see a mine collapse. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what it looks like in the catacombs when they collapse. Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't want to breathe that in, let alone get it in my drinking water. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I didn't think about that because it could have, could rightfully affect the people that are living atop of it through the wells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Well, and one thing that kind of grosses me out, um, and maybe I'm, I'm just overthinking it, but <laughs> the one, the one time I was looking at what dust is and what dust is, is partially dead human skin that has fluffed off. And I'm like, ugh. so I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm breathing in dead skin. Gross. So just thinking about that, let alone actually, if one of these catacombs collapses, and I breathe in that. I'm breathing in dead bone and stuff too. And I'm like, well, just thinking about it, gross. So I, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be a, a soldier any more so than back then. I mean, 
because back then I feel it was worse for soldiers than it is now, but because of World War II and then uh, Vietnam and all that, all of them end up with PTSD even today. And then to go through something like that, I I I couldn't do it. I'm I'm a pansy, I guess. I don't know. But. <laughs> you know, when you said that, and the first time I'd ever heard about dust being the sloughing of dead human skin, it automatically took me back to Tom Cruise in the War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. When he had, you know, went through that, and he's trying to brush everything off of him. And you know that these bones that are in the catacombs that they're deteriorating mm-hmm. maybe at a slower rate but they're deteriorating yeah you know and there i saw some where people were walking on top of the bones where yeah. they had just been and i wonder this were they the ones who didn't meet up to the higher people that had been put in there first because their bones are just thrown aside compared to the ones that are in these little offshoot rooms that are put in there neatly and formed into different memorials. That's possible. That's the only thing that I could think of because that was a, a huge contrast. I mean, you've got regular walls that go down through there and then you have the ones where the femurs are laid one mm-hmm. on top of the other side by side, and then a skull will be put in the middle, and then more femurs. It just on and on. That was a part of the 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 Berno uh, ossuary. That's how they did it. Was femurs and skulls, and it's it's just disturbing to look at it because it it. Uh, I mean, I guess it's disturbing just to think about it in general, but um, to look at it and just know that that's what is there is just it's just disturbing to me. And the, one other thing that I'd noticed too, um, did you notice that some of the skulls were a different color? Yeah, some of them looked more of the ebony. Um, not ebony, I'm sorry. Some of them looked very, very off-white. And then you had some that were more of like a, a, a tan, uh, brownish color. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they seemed to even put them in certain way in their, their laying out of these designs in the catacombs. Mm-hmm. And I'd never seen that. Just very, very odd. <laughs> it is. It is. And you know that the reason that they did it, but. Right. Yeah. It, um, it doesn't make it any more or less weird to us now because today, it, I, in my opinion, I don't think it would even be thought of to, to do something like that. I don't think so either. Um. Even during the World War II, if if you look at the way that they handled the bones and in the mass graves, uh, I don't know. It, it's just the whole thing is is really demented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get in. I was very curious to see what places, if any, in the United States that are considered catacombs. And the people that get to, and if I've said this already, forgive me, but the people who go in and explore the catacombs, they're known as cataphiles. Just like people who go into caves are called spelunkers. There's mm-hmm. actually a name for catacomb explorers. And, uh, but I found out Brooklyn, New York, which I guess we could kind of imagine New York would have mm-hmm. catacombs with their uh, subway system, but this had more to it than the subways. And Arizona, Boston, Massachusetts, Chicago, Illinois, to me, that was another one like New York. Uh, you've got Dallas, Texas, which 
with everything that's going on right now in Dallas, I'm very, very sure that's been disturbed. Uh, Detroit, Michigan, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, California, Louisville, Kentucky, and Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. And that's just um, a, uh, a drop in the bucket, I yeah. guess, how I could say it. Uh, to different places that are here in our own neighborhoods. Did you see how those ones are set up at all? Are they even close to, to the ones in Europe or? Not that I found. I mean, there weren't any that I found that had the bones, but the one thing that was the most in common was that they were large, not as large as that. But again, they were just these huge labyrinths that looked like tentacles spreading out. Okay. And they don't run as deep as six, seven stories deep, but they're there. And I know that the ones in New York and Chicago, those go on for miles and miles and miles. And when were those ones set up? Did you see that? I didn't, but I do know that um, if memory serves me correctly, the ones down around Kentucky, they have been there practically forever. Uh, that's an area that the spelunkers like to go to. They have the stalagmites and stalactites, and uh, they just there's there's a huge spance of them. And with New York and with Chicago, I believe that those started around the time that the rail system started. That's something I want to get deeper into because I'm curious. I mean, Indianapolis is in my back backyard practically. Right. You said that that was close to your son's area mm-hmm. of living. Yeah, he lives in Indy. And uh, in fact, when I talk to him tonight, I'm going to tell him, hey, you need to find out where these are for me <laughs> and get me some information. And he'll do it. <laughs> He's a good son. You know what I found interesting, too, Justin, was that the catacombs in Paris, there was a huge list of people that were buried there. But the one that jumped out at me was uh, the man in the iron mask is supposedly buried there, but they don't know where. Really? Yes. And I thought that was fascinating because he was kept away from everyone. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, and I've actually done a lot of research only because of the movie, believe it or not. I had seen part of the movie and uh, had done a lot of research just to see if it was a true person because even though they'll say based on a true story or, or whatever, which I don't think they actually did for the movie, it, you, you just never know. And right. I was just fascinated that they had actually done something on a a specific uh, historical figure. Yeah, I like the version with uh, Chamberlain in it as he plays the man in the iron mask. That's my favorite one. And I could watch that one over and over and never get bored with it. See, I didn't see that one. I saw the part, the one with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, and that's probably just because I didn't realize it, there was an older version of it. I'll have to send you a link to it because Leonardo DiCaprio did a great job with it, but the one that Chamberlain did stuck more to the story. Okay. So it's very, very well done. So the one with Leonardo was more of a fantasy? More of a looser based. Okay. It, It was good. Oh, the catacombs in Paris, too. Les Miserables. Uh, was used a lot for that tale, for okay. the uh, uh, Paris catacombs. Were a part of Les Miserables? Mm-hmm. A lot of what had happened was used in Les Miserables. Interesting. I didn't know that either. 
Yeah, I like getting into the trivia things too. (laughs) Well, you know me. (laughs) Well, we've gotten away from Eric's random fact of the day, so it's good that you brought that part to the table too. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of trivia in history for sure. Oh, yeah. I just, now that you've brought up the, the man in the iron mask, um, I have to look at that as far as the catacombs is concerned because if I ever do visit Paris, which I doubt I could probably get to where he is buried if that's the case, but it would be interesting to see if I can find out where exactly he is. Yeah, they said they don't know where he is in there. They just know that he is. Just from records or... That's what I'm thinking, that he was possibly buried in one of those cemeteries and, you know, they didn't put anyone's name right. with the bodies, so they just threw different people in with everyone else. Okay. There was no way to identify them, hmm. which is sad. Yeah. But once you're gone, you're gone. You don't know anyway yeah and i i do wonder like you were saying at the beginning if the graves are still there and they just emptied them to get rid of the filth and the the uh, decay or did they notify the family so that they could go to the catacombs to mourn I think possibly when people realize, you know, they could only keep the fiasco up, I think, for so long because they were doing it at night. Whatever they think, not everyone sleeps at night. Mm-hmm. I don't care what era in history it is. You've got insomniacs in every one of them. Yep. And I think it probably broke down to the fact that they just had to come clean with everyone. And the cemeteries, as you were saying, were just so full of dead bodies because they didn't handle waste properly. They didn't handle the dead properly. People were getting sick and then more people were dying. So if they would have listened to King Louis the 15th originally, they would have been moved out sooner. And I think people may, well, they would have known that's why the churches put their foot down on it. But the way that it had to be done, if they would have told people what they were doing with the bodies and they were going to be unmarked, and I think that it would have caused an upheaval. Well, the one thing that fascinated me about the Palermo ones was that a lot of them that were the monks that originally were buried in, in that catacomb are just bone and cloth now, but eventually they'd gotten to the point where these bodies almost mummified themselves because of the way that they embalmed and the natural, um, minerals of the, of the catacomb just mummified the bodies. And that's what happened with the eternal virgin was that she she mummified and that's how the effect happened with the eyes. So it just fascinates me that they perfected a way to, to keep the, I guess, skin. I guess I don't know what you would call it after it mummifies, but on, on the body is so that it's a little more easy to look at them than just bone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bones, I noticed in the catacombs that 99.9%, if not 100%, didn't have a jawbone. Yeah. Because and that's once, scary. That's all connective tissue holding the mandible to the skull. So mm-hmm. once that's gone, <laughs> there's nothing left to hold it there. So, But you'd think you'd see jawbones laying around. And you they would weren't. think so, yeah. And that could be people just picking them up like, ooh, this is a good souvenir. Let's go. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> or That's true. just, just crypt thieves in general because they, they did have not super far back, but they did have silver and gold fillings going back to the 14, 15, 1600s. So that's right. That's right. 
So yeah, I think that when we look into history and we see things like that, and then we see the way things are done now, you know, we're we live in pretty decent times. Yeah, considering the way it, it was during those times. Even though there are just disturbing things happening right now, yeah, I I agree. We live in an era where uh, information is easily gotten, which is not necessarily a good thing. But we would not have our podcasts without it. So that's right. I I think that uh, I would rather live now than back then. Even though I, I would love to go back in time to see what type of technology they had, because I I truly believe that. Uh, they did have advanced technology at one point and it was destroyed. And then we're, we're going back in that same direction. Um, whether it will be destroyed again, who knows, but it would just be interesting to see all of that just because let alone look at the catacombs, but look at some of the stuff that was built back then. That's true. And we can't explain it. <laughs> That sounds like another episode for us, Justin. <laughs> there you go. It does. And, you know, go back to the days of Noah. Yeah. And that's when all of this technology that we are back into now in a matter of less than 80 years mm. that we've been able to attain. So, yes. Yeah. I agree with you. All right. Well, we are coming close to the end. So I wanted to give you a chance to tell everywhere, everybody where they can find you, find the show and any and all information you got for them. Okay. Well, you can find Deception Detection Radio at Spreaker.com, YouTube.com, uh, anywhere that plays a podcast. You can reach me at uh, Deception Detection Radio at yahoo.com and I'm also on Facebook uh, look me up there it's under K Carswell and if you would like to uh, become a part of the deception detection radio forum just contact me and I can add you in there but those are the easiest ways and I hope to have you tune in and take a listen to deception detection radio uh, we try to get the truth out there and uncover what needs to be uncovered. And Justin, thank you so much again for being on here. You're such an awesome brother. Love you dearly. And I love coming on with you. I would always love having you on. Um, it's always an informative show. And I do encourage everybody to check out Deception Detection Radio. Awesome show. Uh, they get some pretty amazing guests on there. Some of them that, as I told Kay on the episode I did on her show, just amaze me that they get them on just because it almost seems like the ideas would clash, but then it turns around and it, you guys both come up with information that the other side didn't know about. So I, I commend you for bringing on guests that may be quote unquote controversial in the Christian fringe, uh, community. So, all right, folks, that is all Thank we've got. You. you are so welcome. That is all we got for this week on Paratruth Radio. Eric will be back next week. So until next week, folks, where you'll find us same time, same ta- channel. My name is Justin. I'm Kay. Have a good night, guys. Night, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode of Paratruth Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can find them at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and the Fringe Radio Network. Or for a one-time fix of all of your Paratruth needs, simply drop in to paratruthradio.com. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for brand new updates on our show every day.
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.